Hi there and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this episode, anyone for a bit of alpine skating in Fota, the new business that wants to help you plan funerals and technology that helps people living with Parkinson's designed at UCC. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, first up on this week's podcast is the man behind Ireland's first alpine skate trail, for which I have many, many questions. That is now open at Photo House and Gardens. It's part of some of the festive activities that, fingers crossed, we can get through in the next couple of weeks. There's a wonderful 450-metre circuit and there's a small rink for young skaters and it's the brainchild of Bill Kremen of Cool Running Events who has been on the podcast before. And Bill, it's great to have you back. How are you? Aaron. I'm fantastic, Jonathan. I'm great. I'm just uh, radiating positivity. <laughs> well, we'll try and hold on to that and I'll try not to bleed it out of you over the course of the next <laughs> few minutes. Um, tell me about this because I, I, I'm struggling to get my head around what an alpine skate trail in photo looks yeah. like. Well, so we uh, were adjacent to the wildlife park and I'm not one. I'm, I'm one of these people. I don't do good mental pictures, so I have to um, thank my wife Orla, who, um, while we conceived the pathway, um, she put it in place down there in Fosa, so she could see it in our mind's eye. And wow, was she delivered! So essentially, what we have is we have a 400 meter, circa 400 meter uh, pathway running its way through the forest. It's partially covered, and where it's not covered, it's got pretty good tree cover. It's an all-weather event. It's four metres wide, so plenty of room to skate and plenty of room to pass out. And we opened last weekend, and initial reactions have been absolutely fantastic. People are loving the outdoor side of it. The weather has been a bit benign. In fact, we um, last week we had temperatures of 15 or 16 degrees. It was uh, a struggle to keep the ice going, but we managed. Whole new team of staff um, working together to make it happen. And as I say, we're just blown away by the reaction. So there's an actual ice track. So I, I had it down as kind of white plastic. Um, I don't know why I had it down as white plastic. It's presumably because it was about 16 degrees last weekend. So how how does it work? How do you keep that ice from melting in, in the relatively mild yeah. weather we've had? Yeah, so we, we've... Um, so obviously the, the, the ice will be subject to... Um, temperature uh, fluctuations so what happens for example like uh, when we have weather like last weekend is we get a little bit of surface melt on top of the ice but essentially the bed of ice is mechanically frozen you know so that will actually stay um, frozen and it's a good skating experience um, and then of course now next week we're looking um, for, at some cold weather coming in um, we have I presume uh, you've been on your knees looking for the cold weather by the sounds of it well, the temperate climate, I suppose we're blessed here in Ireland with, with a temperate climate, but 9, 10 degrees is lovely. A dry winter would be lovely so that people get the max out of it. But it, it is an all-weather event, and we've had people skating in the rain. It's not a, it's not an issue, um, but obviously um, you would rather that it's, uh, you know, dry 10 degrees for everyone who comes down. Yeah, I mean, people will be familiar with the ice skating rinks that, Bill, you've yeah put in Cork for years, the one traditionally at Mahan that people would be most familiar with. Why did you not go with that this year? Was that a COVID thing that prompted you to think differently? Um, Well, partially. um, We have been doing Cork and Ice in various locations, including Mahan, for 14 or 15 years. 
and it has grown, you know, it's gone from strength to strength over the years. Um, and it's a hugely, I suppose, we're, we're, it's fantastic that uh, privilege that it seems to be part of the Christmas fabric in Cork every year. But we were doing the same thing for years and years, and we were probably ready for a change. And um, they say, you know, that uh, time for change is when you're um, at the height of your success. I'm not saying we were at the height of our success, but we certainly weren't suffering from declining numbers in Cork and Ice. It was going from strength to strength. But professionally, we were ready for something different. We saw this in Vienna and a number of other countries around Europe works fantastically well. It's a different experience for people. Now, of course, on the continent, it's much more um, uh, conducive to outdoors in general. But we said, you know, if we can find the right site that offers us enough shelter, then this is a, an experience we felt that the people and the customers of Cork and Ice would just really enjoy. And um, so it's turned out to be the case. Yeah, we, we've spoken before, Bill, about the many challenges facing events such as yours. The big one was insurance. Um, yeah. That issue hasn't gone away, but obviously you've managed to yeah. get insurance for this, which means that you can keep trading, keep going. Well, I suppose. Look, it, it, it's um, we are only two ice rings in Ireland this year. Um, our uh, skate trail, Alpine skate trail in Fota, and our uh, Blanchardstown ice rink um, adjacent to Blanchardstown Centre. All the rest have been unable to secure insurance terms that they would allow them to operate. Um, I feel really bad about that. It gives me no pleasure to be the only ice rink operator in the country this year um, because it's not just ice rinks it's every business that has an adventure outdoors kind of any kind of a risk uh, element to it these businesses are essentially being forced out of business at the moment um, now what's keep what's given me some heart I suppose is the feeling that maybe we're approaching a tipping point you know um, we've had the uh, judicial guidelines have been amended this year uh, to try and cap the level of uh, awards and that's that's to be welcome so while we've managed to secure insurance Jonathan it comes at a significant uh, price a huge price um, uh, as a percentage of our turnover it, it's absolutely colossal and also with a, a, a substantial excess which means essentially uh, the insurers won't cover us for um, you know your common or garden claims uh, essentially we have to cover those ourselves um, so it, it, it's a very difficult challenging mm. situation yeah, not yeah. just for me but for everybody yeah. In, in business. Absolutely, but uh, we have to look at the fact that you're generating employment as well, aren't you? You're going to have a lot of people working on this, on the other projects that you have running uh, across the yeah. year and, and we shouldn't lose sight of that employment versus the cost of your insurance. Uh, no, I look, I mean, we're um, delighted to have a huge team. I know uh, many businesses are struggling to put to recruit people at the moment. We thankfully um, have been successful at that. We have a team of I think 60 people down in Fota, just staff working on the ice rink um, on this Alpine skate trail. And then we have contractors. And then so far as we can, and we always do, all that money is spent in Cork. You know, it's lighting, uh, engineering, structures, fuel, and so on and so forth. So, Mm. um, you know, we're, we're very much a local Cork business. Now, on that point, Bill Kremen, I have to put it, I have to put it to you that the nightmare realm was developed in Cork. And you moved it to Dublin and we didn't have it this year. So wh- why, why did the dubs need to be scared and, and us down? In, have we been scared out down here? We have. You see, Jonathan, you're, you're a very, very smart guy. Um, <laughs> but I have to tell you, you're a bit of a smarty pants sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Never been accused <laughs> the of that. Nightmare, um, the Nightmare Realm was actually born in Tralee. 
and it was a it is a fantastic business that uh, we invested in about six or seven years ago with the creative director Kerry Mann from Nottinghamshire by the name of Carl O'Connor and it ran successfully it moved from Tralee up to Cork and ran successfully in what is now Navigation Square but used to be Navigation House uh, under the kind, uh, under the kindness of the late and lamented Owen O'Callaghan, who owned that building, and he gave us preferential use of that for a number of years. And the Nightmare Round was just a fantastic, creative, scare event. Uh, but unfortunately, we've been un- um, the Nightmare Round has been unable to secure a location in Cork. For, uh, he'd no hall. He did no hall for it. No, no home. Uh, nobody wants it. Um, and people who have derelict buildings don't want it because they're afraid of any insurance risk. So ah. insurance is paralyzing um, if businesses like ours, you know. Uh, so, for example, plenty nice sites in the city centre, and we try and negotiate with them that these are sites that might be waiting to be developed. And the owners of these sites are just terrified at having the likes of us in there because of uh, any potential insurance yeah. risk. That even, even though you know you've experience in running these events and you know how to do it. Uh, 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 yeah. Speaking about things that you have no control over, um, Bill, we, we've had a return of some restrictions. Now we're talking about nightclubs, yeah. not, not ice rinks. Are you yeah. slightly concerned that it's going to put people off in the next couple of weeks? You have an outdoor event, which is fantastic because that's yeah. where we know people are safest so do you think that that is going to help restore a bit of confidence in people as they can go out and enjoy what should be a traditional bit of fun at christmas yeah well i look i'd be um, of course i'm terrified you know i mean we've put a substantial investment out um in a climate where really um the accountants are telling me are you off your trolley um this year there's just so much uncertainty but you know we have to get back to living life as well uh, mindful of COVID and um, uh, mindful of the dangers um, so we have in terms of our staff and our training and the nature and photo um, there's a, a covered area for skate change that's mask wearing uh, and then the activity itself is, it's a sporting activity is conducted outdoors it runs away well. We've uh, significantly reduced capacities over what we would have had in, in uh, shall we say, pre-COVID times. And people have, and we've sanitization and, and, and all the COVID measures that one would expect, people's reaction has been very good. The numbers uh, and the forward bookings are telling us that people understand exactly what it is as an event. Um, it's a non-alcohol event, of course, which... Um, probably gives people some reassurance well it'll give me reassurance um, considering I can't do it I can't do it sober so doing it after a few drinks would be a terribly bad idea <laughs> absolutely um, but so we've been um, really people have been wonderfully supportive beautiful wonderfully complimentary um, we're taking all of the uh, guidelines um, that have issued by government implementing those on site but of course we don't know what turn this is going to take over the coming weeks um, but we will, I suppose, if 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 the worst happens, which I I don't, I'm not sure if it will. But look, who knows? You know, uh, our intention would be that we will close down the event, leave it in situ, uh, and at a time when we can open up, we would hope then to 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 reactivate the event and and um, and and, and uh, hopefully it'll be before the end of the winter. And uh, that's oh, our plan. Bill, in, 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 I, I'm yeah. I'm out 
with everything crossed that uh, you you stay open because people need things like this again this year and uh, it sounds like such a great bit of crack I can't wait to get down and see it over the course of the next few weeks what's the website people can look up and they can they can get more information so it's icegating.ie and the uh, just choose book cork and I was down there last night Jonathan at half past eight for the last session there was a wonderful Christmassy atmosphere down there and I kind of said it reminded me of why I got into this business you know yeah. um, it was fantastic and that's what you need to see Bill it's been a pleasure talking to you I wish you the best luck and you and all the team down there Bill Crimmon Managing Director of Cool Running Events responsible for that Alpine Skate Trail a first for Cork I think we can agree thanks for talking to us Bill Jonathan, take care. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. Now, we're familiar with the concept of event planning for lots of things in our lives, parties and conferences and weddings and so on, but something that's new to many of us is end-of-life event planning. Founded in Cork, Rhea is the first company of its kind in Ireland to offer funeral planning services to bereaved families. The founders are Louise O'Brien and Dara O'Shea. You're very welcome, ladies. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Thank Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Lovely to speak to you. Uh, Louise, first of all, uh, how did this idea come to you? I mean, it's not the most cheerful of topics, uh, planning your funeral. Uh, No, it's not. And I suppose that is one of the reasons why we we passionately believe in the service that we're offering, because it is a very difficult um, time in anybody's life. Uh, Dara and I are both event professional event managers um, with quite a number of years of experience under our belt. And... um, we we would have worked in 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 a previous life with a number of um, memorial type events and posthumous graduations and things like that, and it is a very rewarding and interesting area to work in to be of service to somebody who is bereaved, um, because we know from the work that we do that well crafted, well planned ceremonies and events really do offer people something that they can um, connect with and remember and use as part of their bereavement. And that's that's why we have founded this service okay. um, to offer services for funerals. As you say, it is something we do in every other aspect of celebration in our lives. And it's more so needed even in funerals than any other time, I would say. Daris, settle I'm something a- for me. Is it something that you do to plan your own funeral or is it helping the bereaved if somebody uh, dies? Uh, Who is your client? Well, I suppose I was just going to add to what Louise said there and I I found myself in the position um, over the last 18 months where I had to organise a, a very close family funeral, and you know it, it is a it's a it's a difficult experience. It's 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 just incredibly challenging. It's incredibly hard. It's at a time when you're uh, emotionally wrung out. And despite my years of, of uh, event management experience, I felt the burden of, of stress. I felt the pressure. Louise was actually a tremendous help to me at the time, and she worked with me to to make a lot of the arrangements. And it was during this process, we kind of looked at each other and thought, why isn't there anybody that can help you when you find yourself in this position? And there are so many families in Ireland who are well well equipped and have enough manpower to 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 put all of the plans in place. But then there are so many other families and so many other circumstances that families find themselves in where they need that extra help, where they need that extra support, mm. where, you know, if there is an alternative, and, and that is what we're our, our, our company and our business is offering to do, to offer an alternative 
representative, two families okay. and individuals in Ireland. If you find that you are in the position of organising a funeral, but you need help, you don't you don't have the the, the emotional headspace to actually tackle all of the jobs that need to be done. And these are the jobs that families end up doing regardless. Well, and of course, it's well, th- th- isn't that where the challenge is that we have undertakers and undertakers look after all of the looking after the body and making sure that that you deal with the graveyard and if there's a church involved that you deal with the church or the crematorium or whatever a lot of the stress is around the other elements of it the you know where yes. do we go afterwards Correct. if there is somebody yes. who's going to be resting at home what happens do you do you provide tea do you just run them in run them out and we have covid as well which is a whole new different thing um uh, that that needs to be looked at louise so is that where you guys mm-hmm. come in rather than the traditional undertaker role that is exactly it. We, we complement the service that um, undertakers and funeral directors offer. And what we like to think of is they're looking after your loved one. They're minding that person. And then our job is to look after you and so that you can look after yourself and your own loved ones and your family and friends and neighbours around you. And you said it You said it there. It's the devil is in the detail, really, with those jobs. I mean, I often think of, you know, the the, the scenarios that we're working with on the morning of a funeral, and this is maybe three or four days, possibly five days of those long and exhausting days. And on the morning, it's that intense kind of almost chaotic sense of printing readings off, making sure that the florist has arrived in the right place. Does the musician know where they're going? Do they know where they're setting up? Where are we going afterwards? Who's dining? Who, you know, picking up uh, printing and dropping it off and collection deliveries and who's going in what car and Mm. who's wearing what. It's all of that intense busyness. And this is coming off a few days of, uh, at the minimum of a few days of exhaustion, but possibly a longer stretch of illness um, that might have led into that situation. And so rather than actually having to... um, manage your way through the day and making those decisions on the spot, we're there to say, don't worry, it's all taken care of. But Dara, how, how do you deal, Dara, with the, 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 the mad aunt who always helicopters in? I mean, have you, have you had to deal with family <laughs> members who say, don't worry about that, no, I, I have that, I know what I'm doing. And as a result uh, then, you've got a bit of friction at a funeral, which nobody wants. I suppose that that's one of the blessings of working with us as well, that we are the people to come in and to to put the plans in place, working with the family around what it is, how they envisage the the, the funeral experience and to offer them ideas as well to customise it. But by working with somebody like us, it minimises the conflict within a family. It sort Mm -hmm. of takes the mad aunt out of it a little bit more because we're working with the the, the chief mourners, the the, the core family and and delivering what it is they're looking for as well as helping them to sort of maybe personalise it in another little bit. So it is a way of, of sort of minimising any conflict within families as well. But that isn't necessarily one of the main main benefits. It's just uh, an extra one. I appreciate yeah. that. But if we're looking and at it from, from, from the perspective of COVID, though, um, yeah. have we got uh, a, a new perspective on funerals uh, the, the way we mourn was interrupted and has been interrupted by COVID hasn't still gotten back to what it used to be is that adding more pressure to the organisation or less pressure to the organisation? 
It certainly added another dimension to things because, you know, it, it you know, when it, families were finding themselves in a situation where no matter the, the, the trauma of, of preparing for the funeral or of losing a loved one was complicated even further by trying to work out who who, who fitted, fitted in with the top within the tier of top 10 people who could go to the funeral or the top 50 that could go to the funeral and communicating it all with them then was, was an added stress and added pressure. But certainly I think in Ireland over the last number of years, people's approaches to funerals has been changing. COVID accelerated that. There is no doubt about it. People's um, experiences, we've all had to get used to a new experience of a funeral or a new experience of saying goodbye, which didn't fit in with what we always imagined it would we would feel like or see or or be like so i think certainly there the, the times are changing quite a little bit people have different expectations of the funeral experience now and people are also maybe giving a little bit more thought to a funeral that they might see coming down the tracks in the next 5 or 10 years or even maybe their own funeral themselves so i think people's attitudes and and wishes and and desires for their funeral okay. are certainly being considered a little well, bit more you, now. If I can give you the list of people I want to give out about at my own funeral, I mean, you can stick it in reserve for now and make sure that it's read out on the day. Uh, the company is... Happy is, to work with you. Very good. Up and running, it's Rhea, so R-H-E-A. If people search for that, I'm sure it'll come up. But you have a website, Louise. Yeah. We do indeed, rea.ie, R-H-E-A um, dot I-E, and it, it gives a good um, feel for the services that we do okay. offer. And what, what we like to think is, you know, one of our taglines is, we're there to help you say your best goodbye. We want people to have um, rich, enriching memories of of a sad time rather than stressful and exhausted memories and, and, and that's what we're here for. Right. That's, that's what we do. Well, we wish you the best of luck with it. No shortage of business as we know but certainly a new market uh, that I hadn't considered before. Louise O'Brien and Dara O'Shea of Rhea. Thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you Jonathan. Jonathan. Red Business all that's best about business in Cork. Our next guest was amongst the finalists at the recent Ignite Programme Awards at UCC for her work on our medtech company, Teletherapy, which provides voice therapy to individuals with Parkinson's disease. Someone is diagnosed with Parkinson's every 30 minutes, which means it's the second most common neurodegenerative disease after Alzheimer's. And as a result, there are lots of people who would benefit from a technology like this. And the good news is this one was developed by Claire Meskell, who's from, Clor- who's from Cork. Hey, Claire. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well. Tell me a little bit about the technology and, and how it works. Um, firstly, thanks a million for having me. Um, so I suppose the purpose of the technology is to allow patients get access to voice therapy as soon as possible. Um, so it's quite simple to use. They download um, our app onto their phone and we set them up and they can start practicing their therapy from home. So it, voice therapy is very like singing for people who don't know. So it's kind of a lot of singing exercises um, and when they practice, we get real-time feedback as to how their progress is. So we can monitor them, compare them to last week, the week before, the month before to see if they're if they're holding their voice and it's not deteriorating any further or if, in fact, they're managing to improve it. OK, so we'll dive into the technology in just a second. But I suppose to explain the concept uh, from a Parkinson's perspective, th- there is an issue that people have with Parkinson's that their voice can be impacted. So they need a little bit of help. Yeah, so um, studies have shown 90% of the people living with Parkinson's disease will experience difficulty with their voice. And I suppose difficulty with voice 
what does that mean? It means that they can kind of lose the ability to communicate. They mightn't be able to get their message across. And, you know, that affects people socially. They withdraw from group conversations, um, can limit their social activity, going out for a meal, down to the pub. Um, and I suppose that's one aspect of it. The second is um, those muscles are all involved as well with swallowing. So, you know, you want to keep those as strong as possible so that people can eat normally and um, swallow safely for as long as possible. So in other words, you're using this technology all the time because speech therapy is labour intensive. You have to sit opposite somebody and listen in real time. The app does a lot of that lifting, does it? It does. So I think dual purpose. So the benefit for a speech therapist is, you know, it is reducing patient contact time. And then also for patients, it can be hard to practice voice therapy at home. You know, physio, I think it comes a little bit more naturally. People, you know, get their exercise in, they go for a walk, they exercise their body. But when it comes to exercising the muscles involved in speaking, you know, it can be hard. That's not a natural thing to do. Um, you know, not many people have to do voice therapy. So it's nice to have this guide. The app guides you through the exercises. And then also it monitors how you're getting on and feeds that back to the speech mm. therapist. So I suppose benefits for both the user and for the speech therapist as well. Now, you, you obviously, your background is in speech and language. Uh, you're a speech and language therapist. Yeah. So this must have been the case that you were looking at this and dealing with patients that there has to be an easier way. What, what, was there a classic eureka moment for you? I think it was, um, I'd seen how well this therapy could work for people with Parkinson's and the impact it have, can have. Like, I think I was, I was in college when I first saw it and it was, you know, a patient went from not having a loud enough voice to speak on the phone with family members to doing this exercise, getting a stronger voice and being able to hold their, you know, their voice on a phone. And like, that's huge, you know, to speak with family members. And I think especially then with COVID when everything was so remote to be able to have those conversations. Um, so I was seeing that and I was like, gosh, you know, this is really good, but also I'm not seeing a lot of it. There isn't a lot of patients coming in because of, you know, people with stroke often are prioritized. They have an immediate need, you know, they can't communicate. Um, so I started thinking, is there not like a Duolingo that someone could be doing at home, something simple. Um, I'm not inventing a new form of therapy by any means, but just to digitalise the really good therapy that's out there. Mm. Now, um, of course, you're a speech and language therapist, so coding wouldn't possibly yeah. be your, your first love. Uh, so you had to develop no. technology and you had to work out how you could stick it onto a phone. And most importantly, it had to be easy for the person on the far end to use. So did you get help with all of that? Because one of the great things about being a successful entrepreneur is, is acknowledging your shortcomings. Yes, and uh, that definitely wouldn't be my forte, the tech side of things. I suppose I had a very clear vision what I would wanted um, and from speaking with people with Parkinson's and kind of collaborating with them, I knew what I wanted the tech to look like. Um, so I had drawings of it. My wall was covered in different kind of pictures and what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted it to do. But obviously the shortfall there was actually making that happen. Um, so the Nimbus Innovate, um, Nimbus Centre in Cork um, in MTU, so through Enterprise Ireland Innovation Vouchers, I went with them with my drawings, with my ideas and I think that I'm lucky as a therapist, I feel, maybe someone will contradict me, but like we have good communication skills and I think I was able to like clearly articulate and show what exactly I wanted the tech to do and um, they were quite good to deliver on that and I've been very lucky um, so I think it helped that I'd stretch a strong vision of what I wanted. I had a lot of input from people with Parkinson's of what they needed. Um, so that really helped. But yes, 
tech isn't um, isn't my forte, but I think being a strong communicator helped with that development process. Yeah, well, again, it, it's ultimately a communications tool, so the basics still have to apply. Yeah. What's it like to see the benefit in, in, in a real person, somebody who already faces a challenge with Parkinson's, but you know that the app has helped them? That must make it very worthwhile. It does. And, you know, I actually, I have a notebook and I write down when I get feedback because, you know, the journey is hard some days and you're, you're saying, you know, why am I doing this? This is really hard. And you just see a huge impact it's having on people's lives. And it's actually, it can be emotional at times. Um, there, I think the, the clearest um, story I have, and I probably, people have heard this before, but a patient um, reported her voice was weakening because of her Parkinson's, which would be quite typical. And she started using our app. Um, three weeks in, she, I checked in by phone. I was like, how are things going? And she said, Claire, I sang nursery rhymes with my grandchildren last night as we were going to bed. And that just, that, that really hit me. I was like, wow, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then a few weeks later, she's like, I'm humming along to the radio when I'm doing the housework. And, you know, I sing all the time. I sing in the car, I sing at home. And to think that that was taken from someone and now it's back. For me, that was a really, really big thing. And similarly, I suppose, as pubs and restaurants started opening post-COVID and, you know, obviously everyone was anxious going back to them. And some people then had that extra thing of my voice won't be loud enough to be heard across the table. I'll be left out in conversation. And when I hear people and they're going out for dinner, their voice is loud enough to speak across the table and engage in a conversation with a few family members at a time. That's huge. You know, we take that for granted most days. I do anyway, my communication. And I think it just brings back to why speech therapists do what they do, you know, to help people communicate to the best of their ability. And I'm just, I'm wowed that like, at least I, I can help more people on a bigger scale through using this technology. And that's just a great story to be able to tell because that means that you're having real impact on on lives and and people are better for it. Claire, we wish you continued success as as you work through everything that you're doing and and bring this business to more people who are are dealing already with a pretty terrible lot in life if they've got Parkinson's. Teletherapy Mm -hmm. is the name of the business and Claire Meskell is the brains behind it. Claire, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a million, Jonathan. I appreciate that. Bye now. My thanks as always to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode of Red Business from the brand new redfm.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork.